Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is March the 14th, 2022. Uh, regular viewers of the show, if you watched last week, would have seen my interview with the great English novelist, or actually Scottish novelist, William Boyd. Just written a book about 1968, a novel which imagines that almost imaginary uh, fictional year, the last year perhaps where the sun shone, at least according to the title of that book, was of course in the late 60s that we had Woodstock and that hope, that belief in the future. It was qu quickly destroyed, of course, by Altamont uh, in December 1969, that terrible concert which sort of seems to have brought to the end the, the hope, the optimism of the 1960s, replacing it with the darkness, the pessimism of the 1970s. We did a show last week on that pessimism with the English political economist Helen Thompson. Uh, she asked whether Putin is returning us to the, the hard times of the 1970s. Um, Thompson has a new book out called Disorder, Hard Times in the 21st Century, which is a book about going back in some ways to the 1970s. But just as Altamont marked the end of the 1960s, perhaps there's one event which, above all else, captured how the 1970s seems such a dark period now. It's still not an event that that well known. Unfortunately, we're going to be able to talk about it today. It was the 1970 Bola cyclone in East Pakistan, um, which killed almost 300,000 people. And it is indeed the subject of um, the book today and our conversation, uh, The Vortex, A True Story of Climate Disaster, War and Liberation. It's written by Scott Carney and Jason Miklian. Jason was actually on my show last year talking about business. So we have Scott on the show today <laughs> talking to us from um, Denver, Denver, Colorado. Yeah. Uh, Scott, uh, before we get into the vortex, is there something about this event that brought the curtain down? Do you think on the nineteen sixties? We're going to talk. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about George Harrison later in the show. His for mm. East Pakistan. Um, mm -hmm. Was there something about this terrible, um, this terrible event, this cyclone that somehow, as I said, brought the curtain down on the hope? the optimism, the utopianism of the 1960s? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, when we start off, you know, you start off the 1970s with the deadliest storm in human history. So that's certainly not a good um, portent for what, the rest of the decade. Uh, but certainly with one of the most important things to understand about the Bola cyclone is that the disaster didn't stop uh, with the uh, half a million deaths on the coast of, uh, of East Pakistan, but actually went out of control and um, undid the democratic process of Pakistan, uh, where the sort of the liberal Bengalis um, should, did win an election, but then this horrific figure, um, Yahya Khan, uh, 
decided to ignore the outcome of that election. And then because Yahya Khan was best friends with Richard Nixon, the American president, uh, he uh, he was able to use American weapons to commit genocide. I want genocide. to get to Yahya Khan and Nixon and all the rest of it later, but hmm. most of our viewers and listeners will not be familiar with the East and West Pakistan of 1970. Sure. It's an astonishing geographical phenomenon. When you look at it on a map for viewers, you can see this image of West Pakistan, where Pakistan currently is, and East Pakistan, where Bangladesh now lies. Explain how we got to this bizarre, surreal arrangement where mm -hmm. there were two Pakistans divided by thousands of miles of uh, Indian mm -hmm. territory. All right. So when the British uh, uh, left India, uh, Ind India, which was a much larger territory, and it was partitioned into largely Islamic and largely Hindu sections, India being, you know, what we know as India and Pakistan, uh, there were large Islamic populations in what is now Bangladesh and what was, you know, what we think of as Pakistan now. So during partition, millions of people crossed those borders into in, into this like bizarrely, terribly organized country of Pakistan along religious lines. It was called East Pakistan, no longer exists, of course, as, as you mm -hmm. suggested. Now it's called Bangladesh. Mm -hmm. um, we did a show um, a few weeks ago with the great British uh, Anglo-Indian mm -hmm. historian William Dalrymple, who's incredibly critical of the way in which the British looted uh, sure. the South Asian continent. To what extent can this catastrophic separation of these two Pakistans be blamed on the British legacy of, 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 of simply leaving India with oh, yeah. problems of religion and divisions? So the British uh, maintained a policy of divide and rule. That was sort of their MO. And uh, they stoked the religious um, divisions between Hindus and Muslims. And that is one of the ways that they maintain their control. So when partition happened, uh, you know, you, you, they've ginned up so much um, religious animosity that, uh, that that is what sort of triggered um, Pakistan India to be the sort of the basket cases that they became. And uh, even worse, uh, you know, because the British didn't really think about um, other sorts of divisions, what happened is that um, uh, West Pakistan, what we think of as Pakistan now, ruled East Pakistan because they had the capital in Islamabad. And it's actually like a colony. I mean, it was all sure. almost a, a continuation of British colonialism, except now it was uh, a Pakistani colonialism. Exactly. And they just shun they shunted um, money and resources out of uh, East Pakistan for 20 odd years. Um, we're going to talk about the Indo-Pakistani War of 1971, which was an out, one of the outcomes of the vortex. But there were many wars uh, before and indeed after uh, the 1971 war. Mm -hmm. What was the geopolitical climate in uh, South Asia before this terrible cyclone hit? Uh, I mean, it, uh, India and Pakistan had just done a war um, uh, in Kashmir just a few years earlier over over to territorial disputes, and they were spoiling for war against each other when uh, when this cyclone hit. I mean, they sort of knew it was going to be inevitable, and this was one of the um, catalysts for that to occur. 
who was running the show in 1970 in India? Who was the Indian prime minister? Indira Gandhi. And how does she come out of this? I don't think she gets quite as vilified as some of the other characters in this book. Well, I mean, the Indians are certainly the heroes of, uh, of the Bangladesh Liberation War. Um, because they supplied the troops and uh, and and funded the uh, resistance against the Pakistanis and uh, liberated the country of Bangladesh. So in this case, Indira Gandhi is remembered very favorably. Um, although later in her tenure, um, she becomes a lot more controversial. But you know, when you're fighting a war where genocide is the stakes, which is what this war was really about, um, it's it, when you're on the the, the right side, uh, you come off looking pretty good. And someone who didn't come out looking very good, to, to put it mildly, in your book, and I think generally uh, a consensus of historians, was the uh, Pakistani general Yahya Khan, who mm-hmm. essentially was, would it be fair to say that he ruled both West and East Pakistan or just West Pakistan at that point? No, he was the president of Pakistan and East and West Pakistan were one country. So, so he, he was ruled... the ruler of East Pakistan as well as West Pakistan. Yes, correct. And what was, uh, was he particularly venal, corrupt, stupid? So he was a really sort of mediocre general. um, And then he was given control of Pakistan by the previous corrupt ruler. um, And literally there's no election. He was just given the the position. And he was a notorious drunk, um, a notorious philanderer. Um, and but when he first started his career, um, he was known for being very efficient, like he could get a job done. And that's what he was known for doing. And when he did, he built the city of Islamabad, the capital of Pakistan. He did it uh, under budget, on time and with no corruption, which was unheard of because his sort of M.O. is that it, when he decides to put his mind to something, do uh, his mind to something, he will accomplish it. Uh, which made him so deadly uh, when we get to the events um, after the Bola cyclone. So we've established the characters, Scott, a particularly incompetent uh, general running Pakistan, India, a historical crisis of massive proportions, religious, post-colonial, this bizarre geographical phenomenon of West and East Pakistan divided by India. And then... The unthinkable happens. We have this this catastrophic cyclone. You said that this is the worst cyclone in human history ever recorded. Is that fair? Oh, yeah. Um, Pretty clearly, by any metric that we're aware of, um, it killed between 300,000 and 500,000 people. And we think it's on the higher end of that that number. Um, You know, Bangladesh, what is now Bangladesh, is the lowest lying country uh, on Earth. Uh, you know, with the with the the highest population right in those areas, and when we had a twenty foot storm surge, uh, when you know on a full moon, so so it was much higher than normal. Uh, this just wiped out entire islands. Some of the, the only people to survive were the people who could climb trees and could hang on to the the tops of palm trees, as uh, their entire families were swept away into the the maelstrom. Uh, it was devastating it was it was the the rivers were clogged with bodies for weeks afterwards so where they just couldn't... Bi- biblical in its catastrophic consequences we're sure. so used mm-hmm. scott today in our age of global warming taking it for granted that our, our current um weather catastrophes are worse than any other in history 
is your reading of uh, the 1970 Bola cyclone in, in on November the 11th, 1970, was it global warming related or was it just some accidental catastrophe brought to us by the gods? No, the, I mean, there's no way to say that this was caused by global warming. That, that's not how we were able to scientifically talk about it. But I think one of the important takeaways of this book is that when these storms land on coastlines, um, they don't only hit populations, but they, they topple political systems as well. So even though we can't say the Bola cyclone was you know, caused by climate change. What we can say is that in a future where we will be affected by climate change and we will have more powerful storms more frequently, every time one of those storms happens, it's a roll of the dice. And we're rolling those dice more and more frequently now. So it's a metaphor, Scott Carney's new book, or he co-authored, uh, The Vortex, a true story of history's deadliest storm and unspeakable war and liberation. We've talked a little bit about the storm. Now we want to talk after the break about both um, the Civil War and the liberation. So, Scott, we're going to take a 60-second break, and then we'll talk specifically about uh, East Pakistan or Bangladesh in the wake of this catastrophic storm, what you call the vortex in your new book. So we'll be back in about 60 seconds with Scott Carney, the co-author of The Vortex. Hi everyone, Andrew here again. I'm not sure if you're listening or watching or even reading about this Keenon show. I certainly hope you're enjoying it, but I wanted to remind you that there are many different ways you can use to enjoy my Keenon show. The first, of course, is by, in a very traditional way, subscribing to the audio-only podcast. You can do this um, using Apple or Spotify or CastBox or many of the other traditional uh, podcast distribution platforms. We're on all of them. And if you want to access uh, all the podcasts together, you can go to my LitHub page um, in their podcast section, which is dedicated to all the interviews. Uh, if you're into watching this, as opposed to simply listening, um, if you follow me on Twitter at AJ Keen, you can watch these shows live uh, and you can do the same um, if we're connected uh, on LinkedIn. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not a great fan of Facebook, but LitHub is. And on their LitHub live page, you can watch these shows live as well. Um, in terms of uh, recorded videos, uh, not live, you can see all the shows on the LitHub YouTube page. So whatever your preference, whatever your taste, whether it's video or audio or text, there's no excuse for not watching or listening to my show. Now back to Keynote. We're back with Scott Carney, the author of The Vortex, really uh, wonderfully important and tragic book, I guess, although in some ways inspiring, uh, the true story of a climate disaster war and liberation sparked by this terrible 1970 Bola cyclone in East Pakistan. Um, Scott, we've talked about the storm itself. 
what was the unspeakable war that followed in the wake of this terrible storm? So after the storm hit, Yahya Khan, who was, uh, you know, this terrible president of Pakistan, uh, he lost the first free and fair election that Pakistan was ever going to have because that happened two weeks after the storm hit. And he did such a terrible job with um, disaster relief that all of the Bengalis more or less voted in a block against him. And it's about the equivalent of, say, in a U.S. election, 70 percent of the population going Democrat. I mean, it was a landslide against him. And then he said, that's terrible. He doesn't want to lose power. Uh, so his quote is, if I kill three million of them, the rest will eat out of my hand. And then he proceeded to do that. And that with was Ruth, very much of a, a Yahya Khan kind of thing to say, I think. Absolutely. And, you know, as I said, that he was known for being very efficient when he built Islamabad. Well, he used that sort of efficiency to create basically another Holocaust. In the course of one year, he killed three million people uh, in um, it just just absolutely brutally with, with... That, that's a fairly shocking statement Scott you say he killed you mean he consciously or it was a consequence of uh, his inefficient dumb policies no no he straight up killed them I mean he would round people up in groups and machine gun them there he would light villages on fire with flamethrowers and kill the people as they left uh, he, ran, he rounded up everyone in Dhaka and killed all the intellectual class, the students. I mean, this was a straight-up genocide, and it's been straight-up forgotten by most of the world. Why? Why has it been forgotten? We remember, of course, you know, we were talked earlier in the show about mm -hmm. how the 60s became the 70s. We remember George Harrison's famous concert for Bangladesh mm -hmm. um, in, um, in August 1971 to raise money for the people hit by the terrible storm. Why don't we remember this other great crime against humanity in Bangladesh by, by, uh, by Khan? Well, I mean, at the time, it was certainly big news, right? This was on the cover of all the papers, cover of all the magazines. Uh, but I do believe that Vietnam, which was happening at the same time, overshadowed a lot of this because we had so many American troops committed in Vietnam at that time. Uh, but this got incredibly dangerous. I mean, Nixon was literally fu funding. Right. So let's introduce another character who, mm. another figure in history's Hall of Shame, Richard mm -hmm. Nixon. We did a show recently about him. Surprise, surprise. He was a close friend of Yahya Khan. The two, I'm, the two men probably had quite a lot in common in terms yeah. of their incompetence and venality. Uh, mm. How was Nixon thinking about? East Pakistan in the context of the Cold War, which of course dominated his thinking in 1970 and 71. So Nixon was uh, noted to be best friends with Yahya Khan, uh, best friends in the world, which is a very weird thing because his relationship with Pakistan went back um, to his early years in governance. They were probably and the only two people who could stand each other, right? <laughs> possibly, that is true. Uh, and what happened is that, um, so 
Nixon wanted to open up trade with China at this time. China was a closed economy. And Yahya Khan was one of the only people with um, direct diplomatic relationships to the Chinese administration. So, Nick, so Yahya Khan was smuggling in Kissinger into China to sort of do these secret backdoor negotiations while all of this war is happening. Now the character we've introduced, um, the great or the perhaps not so great Henry Kissinger, another figure to add to the tragic dimensions of this crisis. What was Kissinger's goal here? Was it always great power politics, somehow scoring over the Russians and the Chinese? Yeah, this all fit into the Cold War logic of the time. You know, this idea that one one place goes over and it's dominoes right across the whole board. Uh, absolutely, um, he was involved. But at this point, he was Nixon's right-hand man trying to open up relations to China. And that's why Nixon was so over the top in support of Pakistan, sending American weapons, American tanks, American artillery, American fighter jets into Pakistan to complete the genocide. So one uh, of his many crimes against humanity, in other words, mm -hmm. this sure. um, what you call this genocide in East Pakistan, uh, perpetrated by Yahya Khan and the West Pakistani junta. Yes. Uh, absolutely. And it was certainly a power play. You know, they, they, they are deciding who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. And he's covering up the genocide, you know, even when our own diplomats, our own American dim diplomats, Archer Blood, sends out this famous telegram called the Blood Telegram saying, basically, oh, my God, we are in the middle of a genocide. He's watching people get gunned down in front of the embassy. And... Uh, and Nixon suppresses these diplomatic cables from our, from his own, the own American staff. Uh, and it's because, you know, you're playing this geopolitical chess and he doesn't really care about the Bengalis. Americans tended not to care about um, the horror show that was going on in the third world. And, and not only that, uh, uh, perpetuating it. I mean, sending the bullets in which to commit the murders. That's what America was doing at that time. And, and when you mentioned Indira Gandhi, uh, it turns out that, that Gandhi and even the Soviets become the heroes in this, uh, this the story because they actually fund the insurgency and uh, and, and this end insurgency up... is what what is now remembered as the Bangladesh Liberation War. Is that correct? That is the war. Yes, that is the, that is the war when India finally invaded Pakistan, uh, uh, what is now Bangladesh, uh, and funded the Mukti Bahini, who are the rebels. Uh, that war, it, it's a very short war, uh, is, the, is, the, is the name of, of But the conflict. Indians, presumably, Gandhi was not doing this purely for the, the, the cause of humanity. There was mm -hmm. geostrategic interest for her in fighting West Pakistan and East Pakistan and creating an independent East Pakistan. Oh, yeah, absolutely. India didn't want to be surrounded by um, Pakistan, right? Uh, so there was certainly a geopolitical um, importance. But remember, at the same time, uh, when you're in the middle of a genocide, everyone flees the country. And India uh, is surrounded, East Pakistan, by about three quarters. Um, East Pakistan only had two neighbors, right? It was, it was uh, Myanmar and India. And everyone was fleeing to India. So they had like five million refugees in the course of a few months in India. And India, it was untenable. I mean, think about what happened on the American border if five million Mexicans crossed over at once. It was, it was a... It um, certainly a, uh, is a relevant... Catastrophic. Uh, mm -hmm. It's certainly relevant to talk about today, given that million, literally millions of Ukrainians have, um, have left 
Ukraine to mm -hmm. uh, particularly to Poland because of the Russian invasion there. Yes. So mm -hmm. you can imagine it. Um, Scott, what about um, the religious element? You have a Hindu politician, nation, India, fighting on behalf of a, a, a Muslim rebellion against another Muslim state. Is this a model that proves that these supposed historic religious divisions are themselves political and constructed and that Muslims and Hindus can indeed fight on the same side? Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, these the uh, people of different religions can certainly get along. Uh, I, I will note that a lot of the people who are being murdered in uh, East Pakistan at that time were Hindus because it wasn't like every single Hindu left right, right, uh, right. during partition. So you're, you're, the majority were probably Hindus and other minorities. Uh, but at this time, it was also this idea of freedom, right? I mean, uh, East Pakistan was being ruled like a colonial puppet. So this this was the idea of, of liberating a group who really didn't want to be ruled by the Punjabi and Urdu-speaking people over uh, on uh, you know a thousand miles away. So we have this war, the so-called Indo-Pakistani War of 1971, that came after the Liberation War, or that was mixed up in the Liberation War itself. It's the same war. It's the same. It's a, it, that's just Wikipedia being funny. And who won it? The Indians? Fairly quickly, fairly simply. Yeah, it was. I mean, this was a, a blowout. Once, once India, which has a much larger, much more, uh, you know, it's one of the most powerful armies in the world. Um, uh, they, in the course of about a month, all uh, maybe even it's actually even less than a month. Uh, the Pakistani forces crumbled in, in front of the Indian onslaught. And uh, and uh, 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 but I think it's very important to note that it was also a lot of Bangladeshi fighters. Right? I mean, a lot of this has happened because the people of Bangladesh, just like, say, the people of Ukraine, um, really did not want the Pakistanis there. They were in the middle of a genocide. It was it was very hard to hold that territory as just an army when you don't have anyone on your side. And how did Richard Nixon and Henry Kissinger respond to the fact that their client and Richard Nixon's supposedly best friend was defeated? Mm -hmm. Well, at first, it, it wasn't totally clear he would be defeated, even though there were all these arrayed forces against him, because Yahya Khan believed in the Cold War logic. And he called on Nixon to help. And so Nixon sent the USS Enterprise, which is our supercarrier, into the Bay of Bengal with orders to nuke the Indian army as it was coming in uh, to defend, because there, we have these, these constellation of alliances, uh, the Soviets sent you their- You use the N-word, uh, nuke? You mean fire a nuclear missile at the I, Indian I, army? I mean, fire a nuclear missile at the, at the Indian army and the Soviet um, submarine fleet, which entered the Bay of Bengal, and they actually faced off with invisible distance of each other, in the middle, uh, this arbitrary line in the middle of the Bay of Bengal, and and Henry Kissinger was urging Nixon to nuke the Soviet fleet and to destroy the Indian Air Force with American firepower. Uh, the only reason that this didn't happen, uh, and it's very very tense, um, is because Dhaka fell to the rebels. You know, it was because of the of these rebels uh, actually took the city, and they're like, oh, I guess the war's over. Uh, but we were ready. You know, in this Cold War logic, we were on a knife's edge for all of the Vietnam War. And, and Kissinger and Nixon didn't want that war to spread into this other part of the world. And it was, and they viewed India, which was a Soviet ally, as spreading communism. 
So this was a very, very dangerous moment. And you know, we think about the Cuban Missile Crisis as, as a danger, but that was years before this. Uh, we we were on the brink. In some ways, this was a more dangerous moment for the world than, than the Cuban Missile Crisis. Probably because because fewer people were looking at it, but yes. Um, the outcome, of course, in a sense, I guess, is happy. The creation of a, mm -hmm. the People's Republic of Bangladesh. Um, very briefly, um, summarize the history of Bangladesh since independence. <laughs> I know that's a hard thing to do. Maybe that's another book. Yeah, well, I mean, Bangladesh... so, uh, perhaps touch on how much uh, is Bangladesh remains a, the source of tension between Pakistan and India today. I mean, so, we have um, India, you know, I, India last week, quote unquote, according to the Wall Street Journal, accidentally firing missiles into Pakistan. These two countries seem on the perpetual brink of war. And both, well, of course, would... are, are nuclear powers, so that's particularly terrifying. That's true. I think one of the most important um, recent updates is that since the Bangladesh War, India has built a wall around all of Bangladesh. So the entire border of Bangladesh is surrounded by this, this wall with armed guards posted one kilometer, every kilometer along its 2,300-mile uh, length. And the reason they built this wall is because they are worried about the next storm that's going to come in. And they do not want these refugees uh, entering India. But as you can imagine, shooting people as they cross the border away from, you know, for, for, for a climate disaster is not going to end well for anyone, including India. And that's one of the reasons why we, we are, wrote this book is because there is this tension point which is mounting right on the border in one of the most critically uh, dangerous parts of the world. And they're already killing lots and lots of people there, like What's many the in Pakistan. I mean, your books uh, is very hard hitting. Um, uh, the number of villains in the book, but none more mm -hmm. villainous and evil than um, Yahya Khan. What is the the the, uh, the 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 common story about this war in Pakistan? They look at it as what well, as a national shame and tragedy. Yahya Khan is remembered as one of their worst presidents, and his successor Bhutto is remembered as the next worst president in their history. And uh, it, it's a national shame because they they do not want to admit to genocide, even though they they know they committed it, and they they feel bad about having lost half their territory. And what would Imran Khan, the current Pakistani prime minister, what is his take? Is there still a a, a, a revanchist instinct in among some Pakistanis, particularly in the military, to take the territory back. No, I don't believe there's a, this is going. I don't believe that is going to be a flashpoint. A much more dangerous flashpoint in that area is Kashmir, which is still disputed territory. It's a fascinating story, Scott. It's, you've made it much more accessible. The vortex: a true story of climate disaster, war, and liberation. Um, we did a, a show last year with Debbie Lockwood, the young environmentalist who went around the world listening to everyday stories of flood, fire, drought, and displacement. The book's called A Thousand and One Voices. Um, it's an important book. She, of course, did this recently, so she wasn't around in 1970 to mm -hmm. chronicle what happened. How biblical, though, would those stories have been? 
had she been able to talk to some of the the, uh, the, the Bangladeshis who actually survived this cyclone? How biblical would it be? Uh, I, I think they, they, they're the narratives of people who survived the disaster were, I mean, it was for their experience, Armageddon, right? This is, this is everyone you know dying in front of you. Our, one of our main characters, uh, Muhammad High, buried a hundred people in his yard the next day. Uh, this was horrendous. It's almost like a, an environmental Chernobyl. Uh, or worse. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, is, is it a warning in, 20, in March 2022, Scott, in terms of global warming? How is it a warning? What, what should it force us to do specifically, concretely? So as we need to tackle the issue of global warming uh, in all of the ways that people are talking about it right now, and I think what, what is the most important thing to remember is that these storms, the biggest dangers are not losing beach houses, uh, and and you know, rising sea, sea levels and things like that. It is the fact that these storms can cause war and that they land into political systems at the same time they land into environmental and, and uh, geographic areas. So if we, you know, when we consider the dangers of climate change, we need to put nuclear war back on the table as to what actually might happen. Terrifying, chilling, extremely important. Um... The Vortex, a true story of climate disaster, war and liberations, just out by Scott Carney and Jason Micklian. It's a great, a great achievement and an essential read if we want to understand the complexity of the 1970s and indeed of the 2020s. Congratulations, uh, Scott, on that book. What else should people be reading in addition to The Vortex today? Uh, definitely read my book, but also... Uh... I think this book is really good. It's called Immune by Philip Detmer, and it's about how the immune system works, which I think is something that we um, really need in an era where we're just getting out of a pandemic and there's so much misinformation out there. It's really well illustrated and, um, and it, it breaks down some really complex um, ideas into you know, great illustrations and good metaphors. So read Immune, Philip Detmer. Good advice. Scott Carney, the co-author of The Vortex, uh, a book about who ran the world in 1970. Who runs the world today? Who's in charge, Scott, in March uh, 2022? At the moment, it seems like Putin has the world by its throat. Um, I don't know if he rules it, but he certainly is dictating what is going to happen in Ukraine. And he has his finger on a, 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 you know, the nuclear button. So at the moment, he's in charge, but I don't think he should be.